Good morning and welcome. How's everyone doing today? This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh, a sustainability-focused business and travel consultant in Hiroshima, Japan. In this bonus episode, I am interviewed by a member of the HAPS broadcast team about using the HAPS platform as it compares to the other platforms I was using, as well as what got me interested in the whole concept of sustainability and promoting it in the ways I am doing through writing and the talk show series. Before I continue, I'd love to give a shout out to all the wonderful sponsors of the Seeking Sustainability Live program. Thank you so much to all of you who have promoted the episodes, who have liked, who have commented, and who have donated to the Buy Me a Coffee page or the Coffee page or joined as a member on Patreon or YouTube. Your support really means a lot. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Wednesday Broadcaster Profile. This week, we're going to be interviewing the amazingly talented JJ Walsh, who has had awesome interviews on the platform, um, ranging from sustainability to art to karate in Japan. So we're really excited to have JJ on. And uh, just as a reminder for everyone, for those of you that tune in for the replays, there are two updates available. One is for iOS and the other is for Android. Um, they don't come with any new features, but they are um, introducing some bug fixes. On the iOS side, however, if you join a broadcast as a guest from your phone, you can now enable high quality audio. So Carrie, this will be great for you since you're tuning in. For Hapstars, if a guest joins with their phone, they can also have high quality audio as a guest. So we're really excited about that. And that'll be coming soon to Android as well. Uh, Gemma, how's it going? Thanks for joining. And without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce JJ here. Uh, JJ, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been, you know, I've been really enjoying your broadcast, as I was mentioning, and learning Thanks a lot from it. Uh, Japan is is like number one on my list of places to travel to. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, it's been really great. Um, so we like to start off this this these broadcasts with just kind of getting to know a little bit about yourself. And I'm very curious about how you started broadcasting and has it always been about travel or where did you really start? Okay. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. It's great to see you guys over there. Uh, I have to have a big shout out, of course, to Louise Poppy, who introduced me to HAPS originally, and the amazing women of the International Women's Day who let me join their marathon HAPS debut. And uh, that's really how I got interested and connected to so many amazing people here on HAPS. Um, I started this kind of journey last year when coronavirus kind of made me stay at home. Um, my main emphasis of my work was travel. Of course, there was no international travel anymore and even domestic travel was difficult. Um, my focus is always on sustainability. So I was like, how do I extend kind of the events and seminars and training that I was doing, as well as guiding, how can I do that online? Mm -hmm. 
So just started really slowly reaching out to people I knew, asking them if they would join for a chat. I never expected it would last a year. I've been doing almost daily interviews with people from across Japan, sometimes abroad who are focused on Japan as well. Um, yeah, it's just been an amazing journey. It's been unbelievable that people keep saying yes. Uh, just today, I'm going to do the 244th interview with a Scottish woman who's traveling around Japan in a converted van with her Japanese boyfriend. And, you know, I mean, these interviews are amazing for me. So it's wonderful to use HAPS as a platform to be able to kind of share this with a much, much wider audience. It's been an amazing journey. That's amazing. I mean, we, we have such a prominent van culture here in the States. Um, and I had no idea that it was something that um, people in Japan were doing as well. And I'm assuming all over the world. Uh, yeah. That's really cool. So how did you find it, the transition of like being, you know, in person, working with people in, in, in that industry and moving to online? Were there any difficulties that you faced there? Yeah, for sure. Um, being in person, I was a teacher at university for over 20 years. So I, I really get a lot of energy and uh, positive feedback from interacting with my students and other faculty and at meetings and stuff. And I know teachers around the world are feeling this now as well as students. Like, how do you properly engage with people through a screen? It's such a different medium. Um, so I started learning, teaching myself from YouTube and other channels how to do a multi-channel feed. And I was using all these complicated um, different softwares and systems and stuff. So when I was introduced to HAPS, I was like, this is so much easier. I'm so happy to find it, you know. Um, but yeah, it was a real learning curve. I've improved my microphone. I've, you know, kept the same camera, but tried different cameras. So the technical side was a little bit tricky for me. Plus it being comfortable on camera, that was a little bit of a, of a hurdle as well. It's very different from being face to face with people. That's for sure. Yeah, I completely relate to that. I teach a photography course on the weekends to high school students. Um, and and I, I mean, I can feel it. it. It wasn't great to have them wake up early on a Saturday pre-COVID, but to have them wake up early on a Saturday to do another Zoom meeting on top of have, being on Zoom for the whole week, uh, it's definitely not their, their brightest moments. But I just want to take a moment to say hi to everyone that's joining. Thank you so much for your comments. Lost TV, good seeing you. Ella, how's it going? Luis, of course, hello. Uh, Carrie, great to see you. And Doe, how's it going? Um, so, JJ, when when you were teaching university and you made the transition to, to broadcasting, um, I've noticed that you kind of focus on sustainability. Uh, why do you focus on that? Is that something that you were teaching? Does that go hand in hand? Um, it's a really good question. Thank you. I was teaching at university um, for 20 years. So I started teaching English communication to Japanese students. And then I moved to the business department and I was focused on teaching business and marketing. And I have a business uh, certificate and I was teaching business for a long time in English, taking students abroad to study business in New York on like different case studies and working with companies. My husband and I also started 
a regional website called Get Hiroshima. So we were working a lot from 99 uh, with the local businesses and the tourism industry. So I think I, I just kind of learned about business from all of these experiences. And then I transitioned to the uh, travel and business department. So the international travel and business department in the same university. And so the more I started connecting with businesses, the more I studied about business, the more I studied about travel and had all these case studies that I was introducing to students, I realized there's such a gap and need to think about sustainability. What is the needs of the local people and how can we balance that with the needs of the international visitor? I grew up in Hawaii, so I'm very used to seeing this gap between the international visitor who comes to Hawaii and has this great vacation, but a lot of locals don't get to enjoy those experiences or there's a real gap in what locals can afford to do versus what tourists are doing. Um, so that I started thinking about that and from growing up in Hawaii and how locals feel often about tourists as, you know, people that just come and take and don't really help the local economy or local society. And so in Japan, I was starting to see this as well. How do international tourists, how are they catered to? And we need to find a way for locals to have more benefit, not just the big businesses that get the money from the international visitors, but how can we get them to go to more local shops and to buy local products and to spend longer in the local area so that the local people feel more engaged and can have some benefit from the interaction, but can also have economic benefit. So um, yeah, and then you realize as you can introduce these local places, that's actually what the customer wants anyway. The international traveler wants to have these local experiences. They want to stay longer. So uh, that's what we were focusing on with Get Hiroshima, trying to introduce more local events and local places and local experiences outside of the main city. I was getting so frustrated, we were both getting so frustrated with, uh, you know, travel guides like Lonely Planet years ago before we started the website saying, don't bother with Hiroshima, just stop for a half day and see the Peace Park and get out of there because there's nothing there. That was like basically what it said in the guidebook. So we started our website. We tried to get people to stay longer, to kind of stay and experience more. And uh, then years later, like 10 years later, Lonely Planet said Hiroshima is one of the top 10 places in the country to, to visit. So you're like, yes, success. <laughs> um, but still you have people, you know, who just pop in and out and you kind of feel sorry for them, but also you realize how little benefit there is for local people when they do that and the local economy, right? Like they're using public transport to come in um, only the transportation company gets gets benefit. I I saw I had an interchange with someone on Twitter who stopped in because there's the Japan Rail Pass, which is so useful, and you can travel in and out very easily all over Japan on the fast bullet trains, really reasonably priced. And she came to Hiroshima for two hours, saw the Peace Park, ate a hot dog at the convenience store, and left. And you're like what 
like why is that something that you would want to do for one and that, how that is sounds that like the equivalent experiencing anything you know yeah that sounds like the equivalent of Cal coming to california having in and out and leaving <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly wow so the idea of sustainability is is three parts right is how can we better balance the needs of people so this includes local people and visitors um, how can we better balance the needs of the economy as well as the needs of the environment? So less damage for the environment, of course, helps local people with their quality of life too, right? That sounds like an amazing success story. I hope one day we get a documentary about how your company and the website that you've created has helped tourism in your area. That's really awesome and amazing. Well done. Well, um, because thanks to HAPS as well, I now have a much wider uh, network. So it was just Hiroshima before coronavirus. Mm. But because I've gone online, now my contacts are all over Japan. And I'm giving information about all of Japan. So it's it's really widened my network and hopefully widened the knowledge about there are so many great sustainable options all over Japan. So it's really a great, a great reason to be online and using programs like HAPS. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It seems to me that the 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 mainstream way of traveling has kind of really moved away from going to a hotel resort and then just doing what they recommend doing. Um, I think Airbnb played a role in this, but I am noticing now the online perception of Airbnb isn't what it used to be because a lot of people are just buying properties in areas that need housing for rental purposes. Have you noticed that at all in Japan as well, where um, people are just seeing it as a way to make money as opposed to actually impacting tourism positively? Yeah, that's a good question. The Airbnb example has been really great because it opened up the whole market in Japan to that kind of self-catered accommodation, which was so needed because it was just hotels before. And it, it has brought a lot more of the fit type of traveler. Uh, free, is it free independent traveler? You know, so they, they kind of make plans by themselves. They don't use a tour agency. So this has kind of really opened up the market. A lot of, like you said, a lot of big companies have now bought up properties doing Airbnb style. But I think in a way that's still positive because it, it still offers a variety of types of accommodation around Japan. And in especially the rural areas, often there wasn't any accommodation. Like there's one town that I love visiting um, because they're doing so much for zero waste and doing 100% composting. They have a great brewery, which uses uh, waste from the fruit orchard in their beer. It's just awesome, this craft brewery. So I really wanted to go and stay, of course, because they had a craft beer place. I don't want to drive in and out. And uh, so I was so happy that they had Airbnb because there was no other place to stay. Um, there was one hotel, but this is, often happens in Japan. I'm I'm a vegan, or at least vegetarian at the minimum. And the one hotel they had in the town, you have to get the food together with the stay. That's kind of like a traditional Japanese way. And uh, they could not accommodate for vegan or vegetarian. You know, I would have to pay a lot of money and have this gorgeous meal and 
it all go to waste basically because it was full of fish and meat. It's yeah. I think they might be more flexible now, but at the time there was no chance that I was going to be able to go without a meal or get them to change the meal. It just wasn't flexible in that way. So I was so happy to find Airbnb. And then the craft beer guys are so nice. They gave me a lift back up the hill after I stayed there and had a few beers. So they were so sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. It sounds like a great little community there. Um, it is. When it, when it comes to your live broadcasting, how do you find your your kind of like your interview subjects? Because you're talking about the woman that you're about to interview who's traveling through Japan in her converted van. How do you find them and, and how does that process work for you? Yeah, great question. Uh, social media is my savior. Uh, you know, when people are active on social media and they're posting stuff about what they're doing and then you can see, oh, wow, that that's sustainable or what they're doing, that's different and needs to be discussed and shared to a wider audience. Um, so that's the case for today for Ruth Eisling. Uh, she's really active on Instagram. And she's traveling with her boyfriend is a Japanese filmmaker and he has a huge YouTube following as well as being on Twitter. Um, so I was able to follow them. And then people are always telling me about new people I should talk to. And then the more people I interview, they also recommend their friends who maybe aren't even on social media. And then I contact them and ask. And uh, it's funny because some, some people I see on social media, I'm like, what you're doing is so sustainable. And then when I contact them, they're like, I don't do anything for sustainability, you know, because in my, in my experience, sustainability is so wide. It actually, I could talk about anything in terms of sustainability and how you could make small improvements or how you could choose better options, right? Um, so a lot of people doing these really sustainable things, they don't even see it that way. So it's kind of a new term still in Japan. People are still trying to work it out, like what it means. So I hope by talking to so many different people in a wide, wide range, that it gives people, no matter where they're watching around the world, more inspiration and kind of sparks new ideas because it really could apply to almost anything. And uh, you can always make a little bit better choice. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, one of the, you know, Living in Los Angeles, I'm, I'm sure you know, as you've spent time here, our public transportation isn't great. Um, and it still has a lot of uh, progression to be made here. Um, so I, I just didn't they have a, a train station movie, like award ceremony. And everyone's like, do they have a train in Los Angeles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's very surprising when people look at LA and they see our, our metro lines and they're like, they, that exists here? It's like, yeah, yeah, you never see them because they're either underground or don't run through the areas that they need to run. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I told you before we started that I went to university many years ago just outside of LA. And you couldn't imagine no way to get getting around yeah. without a car. You just, you can't go anywhere. There was no public transport as far as I, I remembered. It was bicycle, but then the smog was so bad uh, or car, you know, mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah, where, where you were, you would probably have to take about 10 buses and it would take you all day just to get to LA <laughs> with public transportation, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and so as you've kind of gone down this path and you've taken sustainability in, um, do you ever get, uh, you know, like 
feedback from users or from anyone that that pushes back against sustainability and that sort of travel or has it always been positive no no and it's it's really a back and forth and sometimes i do get pushback even from guests you know especially in the travel industry i had a guest the other day um who she's actually very positive about mass travel like getting huge groups of people back in Japan uh, using cruise ships or buses. And to me, that is just not sustainable. That is not something we should consider doing. But she actually raised a good point that that is the typical travel style. And it's going to be very hard to change that once travel resumes again. So if we can, even for the mass kind of travel if we can find some ways to make it a little bit less damaging a little bit more sustainable uh connecting to local businesses like i said before that would be more rewarding more balanced um so yeah you know sustainability is hard and i think a lot of people think of sustainability as black and white like you have to be like this to be sustainable but it's actually kind of a give and take it's a ongoing process it's a marathon not you know not a sprint it's it's never finished there's always new technology and new efficiencies that are coming out that you can choose there's always better products japan is ridiculous in many ways in how much plastic we use in everything you can't buy anything at the store that's not covered in plastic it's just not possible right now so it's not like i'm completely zero waste or you know like but i'm always looking for better options and so sometimes i'll i'll be talking to people and they'll have the same reaction like i can't be sustainable what are you talking about i can't talk to you about sustainability it's impossible and then the more you you engage and the more you talk about opportunities or options or better alternatives then they're like oh yeah maybe i could do that yeah sure okay and then i feel like even if I've just planted a seed of something that maybe it's worth considering a better option, then I've done I've done what I wanted to do. You know, like I, you can't convince everyone. <laughs> it seems like it's always you have to find the one thing that can convert to sustainable, and then from there they can kind of pick things up. Because I feel like there's such a negative connotation around it because it feels so hard to do and depending on your current situations, it could be harder for others than it is for, for certain people. And, and that's a point of discussion as well. But I'm Definitely. glad that you're kind of, you're having those talks and you're also learning both sides of it, right? With, with yeah. travel and getting that side of it and then applying it to how you're thinking about travel. Yeah. Um, so what's next for, for JJ? What, what, do you, what do you want to do? What do you see yourself doing with your live broadcasting? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, I, I'm about to hit 250 and uh, things are starting very slowly to open up in Japan. I mean, we haven't had the lockdowns like uh, other countries have, but just because vaccines are very slow rolling out here. My plan was once I hit 250 to start going on site more, taking haps on the road so to speak. And uh, I've done some live streams where I walk and talk around places and that's been really fun. Um, but I'm hoping after 250 to set up interviews on location with people. So more face to face as long as it's safe. 
and uh, be on location so we could also show people around. So I'm doing a lot of photos and videos through the HAP system, which is very useful. Thank you very much. Um, but it would also be fun to be there in person with people and be able to show around. So there's one place that I went to and I wasn't live streaming from there, really interesting miso factory. And the staff are lovely people and I know that they have Wi-Fi. So in the next month, I'm hoping to get back there, be on location with them and then show a little bit about how miso is made. Have you heard of miso before? I have it. No, I, I just I'm I'm sure this is not the same thing, but I've I've had miso soup. But uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, that's the same thing. So okay, it's, got it. It's fermented soybeans, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, so they they've been doing it for over 150 years at this wow. one factory, and it's such a cool old factory, and they're using these old wooden barrels which are over 150 years old, wow. and they the factory used to make shoyu soy sauce and sake, Japanese alcohol, and uh, miso. But now they're only making miso. So they can also show us like where the shoyu used to be made or where the sake used to be made in the same old facility, which is, it's just so cool, really cool. Yeah, getting a lot of love for miso soup in the comments from Ella, <laughs> Carrie, and yeah. from the Haps team. Um, so, yeah, that that kind of, that's really cool. Have you ever been to um, Jalisco, Mexico, by any chance? What is that? Where? <laughs> it's in Mexico. So okay. it's known as like being, you know, uh, where uh, tequila is mostly produced. And there's an nice. actual town called Tequila. And the whole town is revolved around giving you tours Ooh. at the various different places. Um, and it's a really beautiful place. So for anyone watching and interested in learning about <laughs> tequila, just visit um, Jalisco and you'll be That's awesome, yeah. Well, the guy I'm talking to today, um, he got really inspired um, from Costa Rica. And Costa Rica mm -hmm. is somewhere I have always wanted to go because they're doing so much great sustainable travel, yes. sustainable business stuff in Costa Rica. It's like Hawaii, but even more natural and like old, like old Hawaii used to be maybe. Oh man, so and I really and it's heavily. It's heavily supported by their government as well. They're they're yeah. really looking into green energy and sustainability yeah. for them. So what that's a really great awesome. case study. Yeah. Yeah. I wish more people would actually look to it and it would be reported on more often because I you in order to find it, you have to actually look for it and to know yes. that Costa Rica is doing that. Um, well, JJ, it's been a pleasure having you on and to get a chance to chat with you. I've always been a huge fan of your interviews and now to actually get to interview you has been an honor. Thank you so much for joining. Um, is there anything you. else you'd like to share with the HAPS community? Any tips and tricks? Oh, um, I would encourage more people to prepare the photos and videos because that interface is actually really easy to use. And uh, I was using kind of a complicated system, um, using OBS, using Ecamm, using uh, Restream IO, and the HAP system has it all in one place. So it's, it's a lot easier to, to do that. Um, yeah, and so you just drag it on and then you just click on it when you want it to appear. So if you even prepare like one or two photos that are relevant to what you're talking about, I think that really enhances the viewer experience, not just the head talking, but actually with some graphics or interesting video or photos. I, I, 
personally am very visually motivated, so I, I try to do that for the audience. <laughs> note, note taken. I will definitely take that into consideration into my own tips as well, because normally when I do these interviews, I do have things prepared and I completely did not do that. Um, but it's funny. Yeah, we definitely have the same minds there. Visually, it can learn more than actually just listening to it. Um, again, thank you so much for, for joining. I know it's super early in Japan right now, but you made the time, so thank you. Oh, I'm um, an early riser, no problem. Thank you so much. <laughs> yep. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining in the audience, and we will thank see you, you all. Thank you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, have a look at inboundambassador.com. You can also sponsor the work that I'm doing on the YouTube channel, Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee, Coffee, or Haps. Have a great day.